You are listening to Serve, Protect, Lead, a podcast from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, where you'll hear from law enforcement leaders sharing wisdom, insight, and perspective. My name is Juliana Davis. This episode is funded by the U.S. Department of Justice's Cops Office. The department's full disclaimer notice is available at the end of this podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the IACP or the COPS office. Today, I am speaking with Chief Daniel Sesney of Grand Prairie, Texas Police Department, and Ms. Debbie Marson, a financial instructor for the IACP's Women's Leadership Institute. Officer financial literacy is a valuable component of officer wellness that requires planning and education. Thank you both for taking the time today to discuss such an important topic for law enforcement. Let's get started. Well, hello everyone. Uh, My name is Daniel Sesney. I'm the Chief of Police for Grand Prairie, Texas. It's uh, my honor to be here uh, and to discuss such an important topic. I've just been appointed Chief of Police back in January of 2020. And boy, has it been an interesting year. Uh, I was uh, a United States Marine Corps veteran, or am I should say, and from Camarillo, California, came to the Grand Prairie area in the 90s and have been here ever since. I am a uh, graduate of uh, Texas Christian University, so go Frogs, and uh, I believe I lead the best police department in the country, but I'm biased. Hi, I'm Debbie Marston. I am a financial advisor and I have been helping people figure out the financial aspects of their life for about 20 years. I'm located right outside of Washington, D.C. and I've been with the International Association of Chiefs of Police for probably about seven or eight years. I do an instructional financial planning seminar for the Women Leadership Institute. So as we get started, What does it mean to be financially prepared? Being financially prepared to me means having your affairs in order and knowing what you have and where it is at any given time and at any age. Everybody should know what they have financially. I'm a huge fan of everyone having an organizational notebook. This is just a place. It could be multiple notebooks. It can be an accordion file where you have all of your important information, copies of statements, account statements, copies of your deed or your original deeds, just your important paperwork. And the process of putting this notebook together and having all the information in one place helps you keep tabs on your situation. And in my opinion, the number one biggest financial mistake that anyone can make is not knowing what's going on financially. We can help people get out of debt, or save more money, a problem that we can't resolve is the problem we don't know about. So this notebook is important to have, obviously in case of death. If you pass away, your family will know where everything is, and it will just make things a little bit easier. And of course, if someone in your family passes away, you will know what's going on. But it's not just about death. It's also in case of divorce, 50% of relationships end in divorce, and you need to know what's going on um, at the time of divorce. 
There are other reasons as well, but those are the two. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to underscore a couple things that I think are, are really important that Debbie mentioned. First of all, uh, I, in my opinion, most cops look at financial preparedness through a couple different lenses. One is how much money am I going to have in the bank when I retire? Can I go retire to Tahiti and kick my feet up and uh, never have to work again? Uh, unfortunately, most of them don't start thinking seriously about retirement until they start getting close, right? So in my opinion, part of uh, our jobs as, as leaders is we need to be looking at getting our officers financially prepared starting on the first day of the job and giving them the tools they need so that they can uh, retire and, and live a, a very comfortable lifestyle. I, I will tell you the other thing that I think that they don't pay enough attention to is what uh, Debbie mentioned is God forbid something should happen to them. Too many uh, police officers feel as though uh, we're invincible and, and we don't do as good a job as we need to about preparing for the worst. As we all know, the only certainty in life is that one day we're going to die, right? So helping our officers prepare for death is really important. We, there's just too many officers that don't have wills or don't have critical information laid out for their loved ones to get them through that really difficult time. Divorce, yet another thing that, that Debbie mentioned. Holy smokes, how many cops still have ex-spouses on all of their retirement documents and different financial instruments. So it's a really important topic that I think gets neglected far too often. And, and I'll say one other thing that I think the biggest mistake from my perspective, from a financial planner's perspective, is to not have a handle on your finances. And I think so many people, we have uh, other priorities, obviously, you know, kids and job and, and other things. And so they put this on the back burner. It is the number one biggest mistake is not having a handle on your finances because we can resolve anything. We can help get out of debt or save for retirement. But if you don't know what's going on, then you could find yourself in a very scary situation. Uh, I am a divorce financial planner. I actually am a certified divorce financial analyst. And half of what I do is help people get unmarried financially. And it is very sad when somebody comes in and they're uh, in midlife or late life and they find out that their spouse has been handling the finances. Unfortunately, they've been handling it wrong and there's nothing left. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's unfortunate to find yourself in, uh, in bad financial situations at any age, but especially later on in life, uh, to find out that there's nothing left is pretty scary. So make sure that my number one recommendation in this podcast, if, if nothing else gets said out there, is to make sure you have a handle on what's happening with your money. I heard two keywords in that overview, preparation and organization. Debbie, can you elaborate on what it means to be financially organized? Two things. First, I recommend that everybody has an organizational notebook, as I said initially. And uh, that organizational notebook should have eight to 10 different sections in it. The first section is general information. Who's who in your life? What are your important papers? Who to contact in case of emergency? Another section would be information about your house. Other sections would be uh, for each of your investments 
and your insurances and your estate plan. So this notebook, in my opinion, is so very important. Um, as I said, you know, death and divorce, but also, you know, we have a lot of disasters that are happening right now that if you have to be evacuated from your home, you can grab this notebook and run so that you can rebuild your life at some point because of all of your information will be in there. It's a great way to leave a manual for your life, if you will. Like literally, here's everything you need to know should something happen to me. Here's where the life insurance is. Here who is who you should call for the life insurance. Here is my estate plan. Here is my accountant and financial planner who can also help you figure things out. Who do you call in case of an emergency? What are makes and models of cars? Um, the information in the book itself is incredibly powerful. It is um, not a one and done. It is an absolute ongoing process. It's a fantastic way to educate kids and get them involved. It really should be a family uh, or couple uh, project so that you all are um, continuing to update this, uh, ask questions for anything that doesn't make sense, and so that you all are on the same page and are uh, all well informed of the situation. So we're going to talk a little bit about unique consideration for law enforcement families. What are specific and unique considerations of financial preparedness for law enforcement families? Well, I, th I think there's a lot of different considerations. First of all, I think keeping in mind that financial wellness is quite literally an officer safety issue. And let me explain. If our officers are concerned about dollars and cents at home, their mind is not gonna be where it needs to be when they're trying to protect and serve our public. Financial strain is a leading cause of divorce. We all know that. And so anything that we can do as leaders to help alleviate that strain will, will then uh, translate into a healthier uh, family life. It will make the officers safer on the street and it will have a, a mental health impact as well. One of the things that I highly recommend that uh, police chiefs do is mandate that all of their officers fill out a confidential line of duty death information packet. And what ours looks like is it gives uh, details about who their family is, their next of kin, their, their religious preferences, who they want, to contact family, but it also includes some of the very things that we're very, we're talking about here and where the family can find things and package it up. Debbie talked a lot about having a, a go book uh, in case the house catches on fire and, and uh, where all the financial instruments can be found. This is just yet another way in which police leaders can help protect their officers and make sure that they are whole it's a, again, it's a confidential document. We seal ours so that nobody can uh, view it until uh, there is a line of duty death. And at that time it's opened uh, by a chief executive. But again, it helps to keep our officer's mind where it needs to be, which is protecting and serving. And, and quite frankly, being able to protect themselves and avoiding that, that strain that often comes when you know, families are, are having difficulty at home because they're having a hard time paying the bills. It is just so critical. We help our guys and gals stay whole by making sure their dollars and cents are right. We're going to go into general financial awareness and preparedness techniques. 
So Debbie, what is a will and what is a trust? And can you explain the difference between the two? Sure. So wills and trusts are simply legal documents to help direct what you want to have happened to all of your stuff and all of your loved ones after you pass away. So a will simply kicks in after you're deceased. Bottom line is they both accomplish the same thing, which is to direct your assets. A trust allows you to take some control during your lifetime. So the trust actually owns your assets gives you a little bit more protection, avoids probate. There's a little bit of, you know, legal ease in there. I think what you need to know is that these documents are critical to direct what happens to those who you leave behind and all your stuff. And it is so important that everybody have something in place, whether it be a trust or a will at every age. Again, we think we have time. We all think we're going to live to 100, but there's no assurance of that. Um, 50%, more than 50% of people today do not have wills, even people who are over 65. Um, it's surprising. So um, everything has to be decided. What's Who's going to take care of your kids, your pets, who's going to get your car? It's very simple. Even if you just wanted to write it down so you could give some direction to your loved ones, I think that's the most important thing is to be clear on what you want to have happen. So I think probably you all have access to um, legal, uh, either free or uh, discounted legal services that could help you put the respective documents together. I think we as individuals need to decide, A, what it is we have, and B, what it is we want to do with those respective assets, and be very clear on that. Also, it's very dynamic. This is this changes over the course of life. As you know, someone uh, dies, you have children, you get married, you get divorced. It has to be updated regularly, and that's another mistake that people make. In addition, you would probably want to include a power of attorney and an advanced medical directive so uh, it's clear what you would want to have happen to you if you became incapacitated in some way. But again, if you go see an attorney, this is typically part of the whole estate packet information that they put together. I agree that it's critical that officers get these legal instruments done. But I think, again, it's absolutely critical that we as leaders help facilitate that. Uh, as it was already mentioned, less than 50% of the people have these, these documents in place. And, and most of us in Texas have police associations that will come out to our agencies and get these instruments drawn up at no cost to the officer. So I challenge all police chiefs to have partner with your associations, get them the attorneys to come out to your facilities and provide these documents for your officers. It costs them nothing. The other thing I would like to add is that we have to get our officers to have the courage to communicate with their families. Sometimes these conversations about how they want their assets divvied up or who should be caring for their children should something happen to them and their spouse, those conversations are difficult. But what's more difficult is for the families to have to sort that out on the back end. They have to have the courage to communicate and get their their wishes down in writing. So God forbid, should something happen to them, it's it's codified there. Uh, and, And we as leaders, again, can get that done for them at no cost. And if we're not doing that, that's that's the failure on our part. 
So wills and trusts are very important, but also checking beneficiaries is critical as well because a beneficiary on a 401k or life insurance policy can actually supersede a will. So for example, if you say in your will, my current spouse is going to get my life insurance or my 401k, but the beneficiary on the actual asset does not correspond you've got a legal battle on your hands. So it's also checking the beneficiaries of all of your assets. In addition, you can put what's called a TOD or a POD designation on all of your non-retirement assets. That's a transfer on death or a paid on death designation for a money market account or a checking or savings account or something along those lines. So it's comprehensive. It's not just the will and the trust that are important. It's also keeping on top of your beneficiaries. Debbie, you mentioned estate planning. Can you talk about the importance of leaving a written estate plan? Oh, yes. This is critical. Um, uh, I see this on such a regular basis, and it's actually a tragedy to me to watch families fight over assets. So not leaving a written plan leaves a mess for all intents and purposes. I think we could all agree that we have some dysfunction in our family. I, I would like to meet a family who doesn't have dysfunction. Then add money, throw money into it. And without any written designation, you could have a huge battle on your hands. So there's two reasons why you would leave a will. One is, is because estate taxes are really high. Right now, there's an exemption. You have to have over $11 million before estate tax kicks in. And so all of us, I think 99% of people are not going to be subjected to estate taxes. However, that is going to change over time. I, I, well, I can't predict the future, but I can tell you that um, with every administration, pretty much that cap changes and it will probably be reduced in the future. So estate taxes can be very high. The federal, top, federal bracket is 40% and then there are state taxes on top of that. So one reason to do a written estate plan is to mitigate some of the taxes. And then the other one is to just give clear instruction to your family as to who gets what rather than have them battle it out afterwards. And what should law enforcement officers and their families know about estate planning? The biggest takeaway for me is that we work in a very unpredictable job and we are not invincible. Bad things happen to cops every day. So estate planning is something that is absolutely critical and is just as important as our bulletproof vest or any of the other equipment that we carry each and every day. Cannot procrastinate. You cannot plan on this getting taken care of for you later on down the road. You've got to get it done and get it done now. But also, and I hate to sound like a broken record, we need as leaders to help get the tools there for our officers so that they don't they have to do as very little amount of homework as possible. They can have an attorney on site, help them draft those documents because they taking care of that now will be instrumental for their family. God forbid something should happen. And uh, when that day comes, as Debbie just alluded, uh, the infighting is, is sometimes a, an ugly part of that process. So we've heard about trusts, beneficiaries and estate planning. These are just small parts to overall financial stability. 
Debbie, can you elaborate on how a will fits in with other financial components? Yes, the will and the estate plan is a big part of it, but there's a whole lot of life that has to be lived up until the time where we all pass away. And there's so many other financial considerations that need to be taken into consideration. Um, as Chief Sesney said, financial trouble can lead to divorce, it can lead to physical problems, uh, you know, making bad financial decisions, and then it can have a domino effect, it can lead to bad places. But the opposite is true as well. It is so incredibly powerful to be in control of your finances and to build that wealth. So we need to focus on having the appropriate insurances, the right kind and in the right amount. We need to get out and stay out of debt, building cash reserves, building retirement. Retirement is the holy grail, in my opinion, uh, as a financial planner. Hopefully, we are all going to live long, healthy lives. And uh, how are we going to take care of ourselves in our old age? So uh, the estate planning is important, but there's a lot of other important steps in between that we should be focusing on as well. So we're going to move into other key mechanisms of financial preparedness for families. What types of insurance should individuals have in order to be considered properly insured? The primary types of insurances are, uh, number one, uh, insurance for your home. Whether you own or whether you rent, you should have renter's insurance or home insurance. There's obviously car insurance. Health insurance is critical. That is important, and I'm, sh I'm sure that most of you all have good insurance through uh, your agencies. There are also flex savings accounts and health savings accounts that should be considered within uh, when you're thinking in terms of health insurance as well. Those are some tax saving ways for you to pay the out-of-pocket expenses of your medical and dental. Um, other kinds of insurances obviously are life insurance. There are different types of life insurance. There are term life insurance, there's permanent life insurance, and of course, we want to know that you have the appropriate amount of life insurance. So as a general rule, my general rule would be that you would provide three to five years of replacement income for your family. So if you are making $100,000 a year, three to five years worth of that insurance would be three to $500,000. That would allow your family to have three to five years of the same quality of life as when you're alive so that they can make the appropriate changes in order to uh, be able to move forward. Another type of insurance is disability insurance. And disability insurance is replacement income. So if you get injured and you cannot work, it's not who pays your bills, it's who pays you income. Because if you can't go to work, then you're not earning a paycheck. So disability is that replacement paycheck. There's long-term disability and there's short-term disability. Most agencies, most employers provide this for free, but it is certainly something that you want to check on, find out what coverage you have, find out the missing parts to it, and fill that in with supplemental insurance. And then a final type of insurance that people, especially as they get older, should think about is long-term care insurance. That's how you're going to be you know, taken care of in your old age. The great news for us today is 
we're living longer than ever. We're, this generation is living easily into their 90s and even into their hundreds. But that doesn't mean we're going to be self-sufficient. So who is going to be able to take care of you if you are going to need to go into a nursing home or assisted facility, assisted care facility? They're very expensive. Depending upon where you live, it can be anywhere from you know, $150 a day to $300 a day. And if somebody comes into your home to take care of you, it's typically about $25 an hour. So long-term care insurance would cover some of that expense. And this is becoming a really big issue because, again, we are living longer and uh, it's just becoming more expensive. So I would put long-term care on your radar screen probably in your late 50s to start pricing it out. So let's talk about retirement. What is a pension and why is it important? So retirement, as I said, is the holy grail. Being prepared for your old age is one of the most important aspects of financial planning. All of these are important and you need to get your house in order, but being able to put food on your table and a roof over your head in your old age is paramount. When you are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you can work two or three jobs. You have lots of options with regards to how you're going to provide for yourself. But the older you get, the more infirm you get, the less capable you get, the less likely you'll be able to work and provide for yourself. So making sure that you have enough money is critical. You could be spending a third or more of your life in retirement. How are you going to pay for that? And one of the ways is a pension. A pension is a phenomenal benefit. Less than 30% of people nowadays have pensions. So for those of you all who have pensions, uh, that's a tremendous blessing. I, I know you have worked hard for it, but it is an amazing benefit. And I just want to point that out uh, so you can realize you know, how, how really lucky you are. Like I said, I know that it, it's been well earned, but it's an amazing benefit as opposed to living off of investments, would, which could in fact lose money or run out. A pension won't. It is an income stream for the rest of your life. Outside of pensions, what other ways can families, particularly law enforcement families, save and plan for retirement? So, of course, there's the obvious uh, employer-sponsored plans, 401k, 403b, simple set, TSP, depending upon, you know, which agency you work for, which branch of law enforcement. But there's also the traditional IRA and the Roth IRA. Huge fan of the Roth IRA, so let me give a shout out to the Roth IRA. The Roth IRA is money goes in after tax, so you don't get any tax benefit for it. When you put money into a 401k, or some other employer-sponsored plan, you're going to get a tax deduction for it. So if you're making 100000 and you put 20000 into a traditional 401k, you only have to pay tax that year on $80,000. An IRA is the opposite of that. You get no financial incentive for putting the money in initially. It's after-tax money, but every cent that it grows from there is tax-free. So it's incredible. It's a credible way to save. When you get to retirement, you would have a Roth IRA with money that you never have to pay tax on, as opposed to your 401k, as opposed to your pension, as opposed to any other plan, 100% of every other source of income is going to be taxable. 
except for the Roth IRA. So I'm a huge fan of the Roth IRA. There's two ways to do it. Your agency might offer a Roth component of the 401k or 403b. If so, you could contribute to it that way. Or you can do a supplemental Roth IRA outside of your agency uh, through just a traditional mutual fund. There are income limits to being able to fund it directly. But if you do make too much money, you can go through the backdoor called a backdoor Roth. So for all intents and purposes, everybody should be able to fund a Roth IRA. Keith, we're going to talk a little bit now about agency preparedness. How has your agency approached financial wellness and preparedness for your officers? Sure. So if you just listen to Debbie's answer, you heard a lot of things like Roth IRA, 401k, 4013b, funding through the back door. Holy smokes, to a line level officer, uh, that can be overwhelming. And uh, it quite honestly takes a professional to help teach police officers how to stay financially whole. And, and uh, Debbie is an expert at doing that very thing. Uh, so our strategy is simple. We view uh, officer wellness with four pillars. One is physical fitness. One is spiritual. One is emotional. And then, of course, today we're talking about our financial wellness piece. We feel like all four of those prongs are critical to keeping our officers whole and healthy. The way that we do that Every police officer in our police academy meets with a financial advisor. We have him come in, teach them about getting out of debt, the debt snowball. Cops are notorious for wanting that brand new shiny car. And then before you know it, they're needing to work off-duty jobs to support uh, these extra toys that they buy. And then, and then they just get overwhelmed with it being critical to surviving all of these extra things that they've got and their debt gets out of control. So for us, it starts in the police academy, talking about how to stay out of those dangerous situations. We also teach them about uh, what retirement looks like, and we want them to know how to get to where they wanna go starting on day one. I think any financial planner will tell you that if you start saving at age 21, versus starting at age 51, uh, it is a lot easier the younger you're at. So we want them to start investing in financial instruments that will do much better for them in the long run than just only their pension. So again, that's something we start about in the police academy. We also have all of our officers get additional training in our 40-hour training cycle, which is something they do every year. And then we have a a, a financial planner that's uh, used to be a police officer and uh, to help them if they, if they so choose to manage their portfolios, first get them out of debt and then moving move them into uh, being financially wealthy if they can. So again, uh, we, we hit them all in the police Academy. We hit them again with 40 hour uh, training every year. And then we hit them with uh, a one-on-one opportunity with a planner to help them achieve those financial goals. And we feel like taking that stress off of our cops isn't just better for them and their family, but it's really better for all of our residents because they have an officer that is working the streets that has their mind focused where it needs to be, which is public safety, instead of worrying about how they're gonna put food on the table when they get home. Based off of that information, 
Can you share some lessons learned and promising practices for establishing financial wellness programs for other agencies? In the last two years, have lost two police officers, one in the line of duty, and it was incredibly difficult and still is. Some of the the very things that that Debbie mentioned about preparedness um, were some challenges for us in helping these families navigate that. So I could not uh, underscore enough how important it is to get the line of duty death information on the front end, making sure there's a will in place, making sure beneficiaries are laid out. And then the other thing I would say is, I alluded to this earlier, many, many officers fall into the trap of becoming a police officer, enjoying some off-duty jobs, buying new shiny toys, getting into to debt, and then before you know it, they have to work those off-duty jobs to support all of these extra uh, things they have and the debt that they've accumulated. And so if I, if I would uh, impart anything that we have learned here is ensure that your officers have their affairs in order help them do that. Don't just tell them, but but provide the resources they need to get prepared, either by having an attorney help them draft a will or a trust or some of these other instruments we talked about, and also making sure that they understand all of the dangers associated with getting buried in debt. And it, just having a conversation isn't good enough. You, you really have to have detailed uh, training and it has to be something that's ongoing. It's just not a one and done. You shared some efforts that you've implemented at the agency level for your officers. Can you expand on how you, as a law enforcement executive, have focused on financial wellness? Sure. So personally, I can tell you that I have undergone quite a bit of loss in my family, in, uh, including the loss of my wife a couple of years ago. And thank goodness for the training that we'd received here earlier in my career, a lot of these uh, challenges that that too many officers encounter was something I didn't have to do. So I have a financial planner. He's intimately aware of all of my finances. He routinely gives me guidance on uh, what to do with the dollars and cents, where to put them and and how. And um, it's a process. It's just not something that started today. You, you, You too many cops have, as I alluded to, these credit cards that begin to uh, skyrocket. And so our team has been great about working with us and making sure that those things are on the forefront of our mind and providing us strategies to make sure that we get out of debt, make sure our, our, our dollars and cents are correct so that we can be laying on a beach in Tahiti when we retire, God willing. It is a very difficult job that we work. And financial stress shouldn't be an added component. So we, we, we prioritize that here. And we want our officers to have every tool necessary to be whole and have no excuses as to why it wasn't taken care of. We're going to talk a little bit now about finances for families that vary in size and stage. How can someone shift their thinking about finances as their family grows or as they age? Financial planning is an ongoing process. It is not a one and done situation. This is not something that you do once in your lifetime or once a year and put it on a shelf. It's something that you need to review regularly, 
I strongly re recommend that people, whether they're in a couple or they're single, that they sit down once a month and they look at the big picture of their finances. I think there's so much negativity and fear sometimes, and certainly intimidation about finances. It's not unusual for when people introduce me to, you know, people to groan, oh, we're going to talk about financial planning or finances. It's so stressful. I actually find that the reverse is true. I find that having your finances in order, having a game plan is so incredibly powerful and exciting. Your money should work for you. You shouldn't be working for your money. What is the big picture of your life? Where do you want to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years? What do you want to look back on in your life and, you, and say you did more of or less of? This is the opportunity to do that. So you and your spouse can sit down and get on the same page. When do you plan to retire? Are you going to go on a big vacation? Are you going to go, um, are you going to buy a new home? Are you going to buy a second home? I think it's incredibly exciting. So again, regardless of the size of your family, at least the adults in the family should be sitting down on a regular basis and reviewing their financial situation and making adjustments whether it's a marriage or divorce, anytime there's a material change in your life, you should be reviewing your finances. And that would include additions to families or subtractions from families or job changes or anything like that. We're going to shift now to talk about saving for an emergency. What are some ways to save and be prepared in the event of a line of duty death? So the bottom line is, is that in my humble opinion, us as Americans just spend so much money. It's amazing the amount of money that we squander. I tell people to, one of the first exercises I give them is to monitor every penny that they spend. Where are they spending their money? And then let's find ways to cut. The exercise itself is pretty overwhelming. As I'm sure you can imagine, the amount of money people spend on coffee or dining out or lunch, just the amount of money that we squander is really, really surprising. And I think if we are able to put the big picture in place to say, I want to retire in five years, so do I really need to spend $10 a day on coffee or can I put that towards my retirement? I think if we look in terms of you can't have this and you can't have that and, you know, always have to live with a tightened belt, yeah, that's not fun. But if you look at it in big picture instead and say, wow, how great is that, that we're going to be able to move to, to Haiti in a few years um, if, we simple, if we simply do X, Y, and Z. So I have to say that probably half of the time that I'm meeting with clients I'm helping them try to figure out where and how they spend their money. This is not just a problem for people who don't make a lot of money. This is everyone. I have people who come and make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and they don't know how they're in debt or where their money goes. So I would recommend to everyone that you monitor your expenses, preferably for an entire year. Don't forget to include non 
um, monthly expenses like car insurance that is only paid semi-annually or annually, or vet expenses that might happen once or only every couple of years. Uh, the holidays, summer vacations, travel, these are not regular expenses and people forget to put them in their budget and that's what creates the problem. So first and foremost, figure out where you're spending money, then find places to cut because I assure you that when you look at your budget, you are probably going to be surprised. Find places to cut and then commit to saving 10 or 20% of everything that you make. And you should be maxing out your retirement and putting some of that as well into paying off debt. Hopefully at some point you'll be debt free. And then of course, building your cash reserves, which are your emergency funds. Chief, this question's for you. What financial assistance or support is available to surviving families after a line of duty death? Well, there's quite a bit. Uh, I would encourage everyone to uh, go to uh, Concerns of Police Survivors uh, website. It's uh, concernsofpolicesurvivors.org or nationalcops.org. And they've, they've got a comprehensive list. They've done a great job of putting all those things together. But there are uh, state benefits, educational benefits, workers' comp benefits, um, and uh, retirement health benefits. And each state uh, is different. So they do a great job of keeping those things together. That would be the first thing I would suggest. The other thing I would highly recommend is, God forbid, one of your officers is lost in the line of duty. I would designate one of the officers on your team to help the family navigate that process. That officer's sole mission should be to help them get with these different organizations and apply for these benefits or do it on their behalf. It can be an arduous process. And so having a sole gatekeeper uh, to do that is critical. The other thing to keep in mind is in the, line of, in the line of duty desk, there is going to be a lot of people that are coming to your agency with very benevolent hearts that want to help and give back uh, to the family. And so having that gatekeeper there to help bring all those resources to a single place is incredibly important. I want to underscore one other thing real quickly. Financial wellness really needs to be viewed through the lens of officer safety. I can't stress that enough. I would encourage any police chief listening, if you don't have an officer wellness program in your agency, get one. These cops are out here already enduring so much psychological trauma. This isn't one more thing they need on their plate. If your cops don't have a will, help them get one. Call in, call in the attorneys. I, I, again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but it is so incredibly important and so many cops are, do not have it done right now. And what's gonna happen is, unfortunately, too many are gonna find themselves in a position where it's not done and that's when all the, the legal battles and infighting and headaches begin. So help them avoid that. Help their families avoid that. They deserve it. It's, it's within our power to get that done very easily. Get those cops their will and start thinking about officer safety and financial wellness, wellness is being uh, truly joined. Chief, you mentioned concerns of police survivors. The Public Safety Officers Benefits Program, also known as PSOB, 
offers death and education benefits to survivors of fallen public safety officers. Can you explain why it's important for families per to pursue these benefits? Yes, and thank you for bringing up the uh, PSOB. In fact, uh, since you did, let me plug their phone number because it's incredibly important. That's 888-744-6513. Again, 888-744-6513. And uh, I believe it's uh, PSOB.gov. Uh, it's incredibly important because you have an officer that laid down their life and made the ultimate sacrifice for this country. And part of that in incredible loss comes incredible trying times for the family. And what the Public Safety Officers Benefits Program and, and others that I've mentioned does is, is to try to take away some of the stressors associated with losing a loved one in the line of duty. And what I mean by that is that these benefits will help with a lot of the financial strains that, that come with losing a loved one. You know, very often the police officer is the one that's responsible for handling the bills, let's say, or uh, knows how to, um, you know, get in, in, in all the login and passwords. And it just, it, it creates all of this, this stress on their family. These benefits programs will help not just with the uh, disability and death information, but there's also a lot of educational benefits there as well to help them navigate such an incredibly crummy situation. So we're going to talk a little bit now about financial stability in the event of a serious injury. What are some ways to save and be prepared in the event of a serious injury to an officer? Oh, from a financial perspective, I think that everyone should have an emergency reserves. Uh, we spoke a little bit about, you know, saving and tracking spending uh, a minute ago. So I think everyone needs to find the money in their budget when they are able to cut other expenses out to build what's called a cash reserves account. We should all have three to six months worth of expenses in a savings account or some liquid uh, safe, I guess is the appropriate word, place so that if there is an urgent situation, so hopefully if an officer is, is injured, uh, they will have disability long and short term and other benefits that could be supplemented through their, their reserves. Um, so again, based on what I had said earlier, lots of ways to save, uh, spend less than you earn, and build what I would call a cash reserves, a minimum of three months worth of expenses, preferably six to 12 months worth of expenses, have it very liquid so that you could tap into it should you have an emergency. This project was supported in whole or in part by cooperative agreement number 2018-CKW-XK-008, awarded by the U.S. Department of Justice, Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services. The opinions contained herein are those of the speakers and do not represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice. References to specific individuals, agencies, companies, products, or services should not be considered an endorsement by the speakers, the IACP, or the U.S. Department of Justice. 
Rather, the references are illustrations to supplement discussion of the issues we hear today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can visit learn.theiecp.org slash podcast to view show notes from today's episode and to find additional ways you can learn from leaders in the field.